Ladies and gentlemen, coming at you from the Motor Valley of Europe, Stuttgart, Germany, welcome to the Screens Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Seegers. Uh, behind the console is Tom. And today I will be joined by Sebastian Kranz. He's a senior project manager at Bosch Engineering with a focus on project management for infotainment systems and near-range camera systems in sports and luxury vehicles. Mr. Kranz, thank you so much for being on the show. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a uh, this is fun because we haven't done a an in person one yet. So you you get to be the first in studio guest of many. Um, no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> like you set the bar high, at least for dress code. Yes, <laughs> we'll see the rest. So first things first, like tell us a little bit about yourself. What what inspired you to pursue your current career path? I think I have always wanting to work in the automotive industry. Since I was a little kid, it was about cars for me. And uh, I was always a fan of cars. I was uh, staring through the window, watching the cars go by. And by the age of four, I could name almost all of them. And uh, yeah, well, I guess the path was preset. And later when I was at school, I had a fable for math and physics and science. And uh, that was already a good start. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told my father at a certain point in time, okay, I want to drive Porsche. Maybe I want to work for Porsche. And he said, okay, then you have to pick up with your grades a little bit, but uh, (laughs) technology is already good. So why not become an engineer? And uh, that's what I did. I then went after my school. I went to university, studied in Munich, uh, mechanical engineering. And that's uh, also very tightly connected to BMW and uh, the automotive industry. Got an internship at BMW and yeah, for some further years I was studying and after some detours, let's say I ended up working for Bosch as a project manager Mm. and uh, project management. It was never project management that was uh, the first choice from Mm. myself. Well, because when you're a youngster, you you want to be an engineer, you want to be someone who drives a car, who tests something, maybe Mm. the ESP go into extreme driving situation and drift the car or something. That's at least the dream. That was it for me. And uh, then with... uh, Later time and with proceeding with my studies, uh, I understood that being the very, very neat engineer and Mm -hmm. focusing on numbers and number crunching, that's not the one for me. I was always uh, more in favor of talking to people, coordinating things, bringing people together. Uh, And that's when I understood. So I'm more of a generalist. And yeah, I somehow stumbled across the project management job. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, I've been doing this for six years now. Wow. I mean, uh, it, it's it's uh, crazy what your day-to-day must look like because I know Bosch has a lot of, a lot of things <laughs> that go on there. And your specific um, focus is on infotainment systems, near-range camera systems in sports and luxury vehicles. So I could imagine your day-to-day is kind of a little hectic. Does it just very... Like when you show up, is there always a specific thing you're looking to do that day or is it several projects at once? Well, in my role and with my with my background now, it's several projects at once. So it's also several customers at once. Mm-hmm. So normally when you start out as a project manager, it's one project, one customer so that you can ease in a little bit. But when you 
grow older and get more experienced, uh, they may give you more to work and the workload is amping up. But still, it's it's okay. And uh, for the days being crazy, well, that depends. Uh, it's different from day to day. There are days where you start really uh, in the morning right away with one meeting after another and different meetings, different locations. You have the early meetings with uh, China, with India, for example, and then later in the day you have uh, meetings with more German colleagues and uh, not so much for me, but for my colleagues, they also have uh, meetings with the US colleagues. They are normally rather in the afternoon, but uh, still from my day to day, I try to get some work in between the meetings. Normally what I say is uh, seven meetings are also a work day, but then you haven't done anything <laughs> uh, because uh, you always take some some tasks with you from a meeting, from a decent meeting at least. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. uh, and you need to follow up on this and you have more phone calls and more, uh, more tables to fill and uh, more work to do. And... Uh, these are the other days then if you don't have uh, that many meetings you you follow up on your tasks and mm. uh, try to prepare some results try to prepare some decisions for your managers and uh, just to guide your team through the development process so you've you've done this for about 6 years at this point yes so with as fast as like automotive technology has seemed to have gone <laughs> in the last 6 years where, where did you see it from when you started doing this and to where it is today? Like what are some of the, the major advancements that you've kind of seen happen over your time managing all these projects? Well, that depends on uh, which part we're discussing here. If mm -hmm. we're talking about the product part, then when I started uh, my job there as a project manager, we still had... Uh, gauges, actual gauges with dial plates and with pointers, like small motors driving those pointers. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we quickly moved to uh, full display uh, solutions like some virtual cockpits. And now we're discussing uh, panorama displays. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's uh, mainly what I've, uh, what I've seen happening very, very fast in the last six Isn't years. Isn't that crazy, right? Because when you were first given... A, a car and a cell phone or whatever. What, what did everybody tell you? They were just, hey, don't use your phone while you're driving. And now everybody has like basically an iPad here <laughs> or the entire thing is screens. <laughs> like, do you think that that's for the, for like a better thing or do you think physical dials have their qualities that should come back? My personal opinion is I like this these physical dials. Mm. I like flip switches like in the old Mustangs uh, where you have this uh, this loud click when yeah. when you uh, flip it. That's that's cool for me, but mm. uh, I also understand that the uh, trends go into the other direction to having all of these uh, sleek surfaces you can display whatever you like and uh, this is okay as well, and it's uh, mainly my job to implement this and to work with this, of course, so I have to find a good in a certain way, and I do. Uh, but if I were to buy mm -hmm. a car, I would also consider an older one with uh, mm -hmm. older gauges and older switches. I find that this is the the big struggle whenever we talk to somebody in the show. It, it's always uh, people are working on designs and they're working on engineering or they're working on cars for where they're going to be. Yet, if you're in the industry, you're typically our car guy. Like you're yes. someone who's used to that. So would you rather have like 
an old muscle car type of, like if you if you could have any car <laughs> like what would it be if i could have any car any car from any era anything i can't choose or pick just one car if uh, my first choice will always be a porsche always be always a- always 911 gts as a targa version why porsche why is porsche your favorite car because Porsche is, as you can say, the perfection of German automotive engineering technology. It's it's so well made. There's so much love for the detail in it. And it's just made for going fast. And that's what is so fun about uh, driving a car. It's, uh, of course, being safe in a car is uh, very important. But uh, the actual inspiration comes from going fast and mm. going fast in a safe way. And... Uh, I think the Porsche guys uh, have been doing a very good job for centuries right now mm. to making nice looking cars which are just superior in their in their technology and maybe one sign for for a car that is very well made is that the design does not need to change very much if you uh, overlay all of the silhouettes of the 911 model mm-hmm. it's stretched a little bit there's one or two curves that have changed slightly in their curvature but uh, in essence it's the very same car as in the 1960s and uh, that's for me a good sign and uh, timeless right it's timeless yes and the um, the experience of driving a car like this must be so uh, so inspiring. <laughs> it's like uh, getting a really good suit. Like I don't think suits have changed that much. Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, that's a good comparison, actually. Yeah. They just work. <laughs> that's it. We but had yeah. fitting to my previous answer, of course, some some sixty seven, sixty eight uh, Mustang mm. uh, would also be very nice. Like uh, for the guys who have seen Gone in sixty seconds. Eleanor is yeah. also very, very neat. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm from the U.S. Everybody, I think it's required watching. <laughs> like yeah. at some point, they show it to you in school. Probably, I don't know. Maybe I just went to a bad school yeah. or a great school. I don't know. <laughs> like it could be. But still, you're right. Like infotainment systems that are there; those are the future. And I think the way is how do how do you get infotainment systems to work for car guys? Like what what would appeal to you when you're like what would give you that same kind of feeling you know what i mean like is that the difficulty when it comes to like trying to figure out these kind of um, advancements in technology how do we appease both technological people or like maybe the younger people that just want the screens with the you know also doing that with the with the guys who really like to feel the physical knobs or the old cars and the old gears and all of that stuff I think the gap between those guys or those types of guys you just mentioned is very, very big. And Mm. uh, I'm not sure I have a good answer to this. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, what would catch me the most, uh, I guess, is something that is going into the direction of augmented reality, where I uh, have no, no additional goggles on or anything. I just look through my windscreen and I see 
more information that is to the eye normally. Normally, I just look through the windshield, I see the street, I see other people on the road, I see other cars, and if there's some additional information, like uh, in 100 meters, you have to you have to go there, or there's a stone already mm-hmm. that will will hit you. Uh, that's interesting for guys like me. I mm-hmm. would say uh, really interested in driving, really interested in the. Uh, in the material but i also would say that it is for other people if there's no big uh, big gap between what you do normally and what you do during driving so not everybody's a car guy yeah. or a car girl uh, some people are just not into that and many people are running around with their uh, smartphones mm-hmm. in their hands or the eyes on the smartphone while walking through the city uh, and maybe this is how we have also come to the all display solutions here because the displays are repeated or the content of the display from your smartphone is repeated you have these interfaces like apple carplay you have android auto that looks and feels the same when you enter your car Mm -hmm. and makes people at ease, uh, at least because they know it. It's familiar and uh, they know how to deal with this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I love the AR thing, by the way. I I hadn't thought about that. And it's one of those cool things where you're driving and it's both cool for safety, but it might also show you kind of like the intensity of your car and things like this. Um, What do you think about... um, I always ask these questions because it's such a hot topic. What is the role of like AI when it comes to like car development? Like, where do you see that going? Are you, are you in a positive way or? Well, in a neutral way, actually, you know, when you talk about AI, the first thing that comes to my mind is autonomous driving. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was uh, kind of interesting because when I studied in Munich, I had one professor that said, listen, guys, everybody's talking about autonomous driving, but I can tell you this is not coming from the next 20 years. I definitely can tell you this is not uh, truly autonomous driving is not coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and although we have seen some examples of uh, partly or uh, even more partly autonomous driving, mm-hmm. we are not there yet uh, as far as I see, and uh, the AI comes in when we have truly autonomous driving. Because uh, for me, the truly autonomous driving means you're sitting in a car, there's no steering wheel anymore. You're mm-hmm. just sitting like in a bus or uh, on your couch, and you, you're you facing your partner just mm-hmm. like we do right now, and you just... Uh, have the computer drive you wherever you want. That is uh, something that comes to my mind. And if all the people do it, you need uh, artificial intelligence to pick the smart routes to avoid collisions. Mm -hmm. And that's where I see it coming in. But I think we're still a long way away from that. Not that long, not 200 years from now, but uh, still, it's it's still some, some way to go. Yeah, I think people want it tomorrow. <laughs> They're kind of yes, they think it's uh, it's good to have it tomorrow, but I don't think they actually know what they then want or whether they really want it. Yeah, because it means give away all of the control, and uh, many people may think that is okay, but when you actually have to do it, it's different. Mm-hmm. Just be a passenger next to a race driver on the racetrack. I'm a terrible you, passenger. Exactly, that's cars. the point. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you 
just give away that kind of control you can't break for yourself and uh, that already is is one stage of giving away the control and mm -hmm. you need to be prepared for this and i guess the first cars that will be truly autonomous they shouldn't have any windows where you can look through because you don't want to see what is going on there what the computer is doing there no I'd, i would just be holding onto the walls the whole time hopefully they have a bunch of those like handles for me to grab it's weird because it's almost like it's it feels like it's going to be like the airline industry like no one worries about flying their own plane you just get into the plane it takes you where you're gonna go it's a nice experience hopefully most of the time it's probably not if you're like you know long international flight and economy or something you know then then it's terrible but not everybody i'm sure there's there's nice ones but you know there there's still there's some experience in air, on airplanes where you know here here's your own bed and your own tv and all of this and it's a very comfortable thing and you're never once thinking about i need to control this plane no it's just a relaxing thing exactly eventually cars in vehicles when, when everything's fully autonomous should be geared towards that now we talked to somebody before that possibly you know was thinking about the future would be more niche when it comes to cars like there's people that are younger that might never want to own a car because that's the situation they're in where they can call an uber or, or a lyft or one of these ride shares or they can use public transportation or they're going to have an autonomous vehicle or they can rent a car you know with an app but then there's other people that really like the old muscle cars they like to hear the sound of the engine they want to own a car and at the, I, I forget who this was. I think it was uh, uh, Stefano Carmonati who we were speaking with, um, who does uh, automotive design. And he was basically saying, yeah, design is going to be like that for the future. You have to design for specific groups, more narrow groups. Do you agree with that, do you think? I would say yes. Uh, the tendency is into that direction. But I would like to put it up more diverse. So... Mm -hmm. There are different people, they, they are different living situations. And now we're in Stuttgart. I just came from a long drive through Stuttgart mm -hmm. and it's uh, driving in the city is never my cup of tea, to be honest. And uh, if I were to live in a city like Stuttgart, I would think of getting rid of my car and renting one whenever I need it. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, right now I'm living rather on the countryside and living without any own car would uh, really bother me because then I most of the times I would need to find an alternative and public transport isn't that good. I'm not that flexible anymore. And uh, so there is, uh, I agree that uh, there will be different groups or different targets uh, that you have to do a design for, but I'm not sure that uh, individual transport will be a niche by itself. Yeah, yeah. I I. I, I... I wonder. Yeah. It's so curious because we're in such a weird time <laughs> where I think that there's environmental reasons why people necessarily don't own cars, but then there's, there's other factors into it. Like you said, it could be where you live. You could live within a city and public transportation makes more sense because traffic, parking, things like that. But if you did live in like one of these small villages outside, I feel like it's almost impossible to not have a car, you know? So it's, it's always going to be that, but as the future gets more autonomous, because it seems like everybody's going that way, right? Like it's not something where, do you, I mean, maybe I should ask you that. Do you think the future is completely going to autonomous or is it like a fad kind of thing? Is it just the 
the thing that they're talking about, but, you know, we'll never actually do. I think uh, we will have it uh, to a certain degree with the fully autonomous, but I do not think that everybody will have it there, especially um, if I look at the people living around me and uh, seeing the different generations, seeing different opinions on driving on cars in general, I don't think that everybody will be happy to drive fully autonomous or uh, anything because uh, sometimes they just want to stick with what they have. And uh, let's face it, you just need to be able to afford what is coming. And the first cars fully autonomous will not be cheap. Uh, like nothing mm -hmm. in the in the automotive industry, anything that is pioneer uh, technology, it's never cheap. And you need a lot more market share to uh, throw it out wide and to get cheaper. And uh, as long as we have the situation that this is a very new thing, it's not for the broad market, I would assume. Are there any challenges that you faced when, you know, with your career, whenever you're, you know, working with the development of multimedia image-based driver assistance systems or anything like that? Now it does sound like a job. It does, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what, what, what are some of the crazy things that maybe you've had to overcome? Like, I mean, there has to be always those situations where, you know, projects have gone astray. You had to get them back on track. I don't know if they can get too many specifics there, but... <laughs> Well, of course, you always have these kind of situations. So um, maybe one situation that we had where we got into a delay of the timeline uh, with, uh, I could see it miles ahead that this is uh, this is not going to end well here mm -hmm. because we, we had a request from a customer that uh, was for a project with uh, an SOP, as we say, the start of production, that, which is basically where we have to have everything ready and we our product needs to be released and they ramp up their car production. That's the SOP. And the SOP date was uh, very close compared to what we usually do. So a normal and good and comfortable project situation is two to three years uh, prior to SOP, we start the development. And in this case, it was... Uh, one to one and a half years and it was really stressful uh, Stressful, and um, we got this request already that late and then we tried to make a good offer to the customer with good support and then we went into negotiations and uh, this commercial alignment uh, cost us uh, again, a couple of weeks, and we were even later in the uh, in the line. And uh, then I said, "Okay, um, we still have the same problem. We we cannot meet that SOP date. So, mm -hmm. and we have lost a couple of weeks more. So, uh, what are we going to do?" And uh, then uh, I tried to uh, motivate the team, and the team was motivated. Then uh, that's that's not an issue, and we uh, did what we had to do. But uh, in the end. Uh, the funny thing was we were close to going to SOP. Uh, it was not the timeline that they 
wanted us to do. It was the timeline that I initially calculated out. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, funnily enough, uh, it became 2020 and the world had gone into a different kind of crisis and mm -hmm. everybody was delaying uh, his project, his or her project. So uh, it didn't matter anymore. But <laughs> uh, in the end, uh, we were having a very stressful year and then somehow we managed to uh, do it all and the customer was still very satisfied with us uh, because then after the new uh, situation we had it all on time and they could deliver their car on time and yeah i was never having to deal with that uh, before that i think nobody had to deal with a situation like we had in 2020 and yeah. 2021 uh, but yeah it was a very interesting experience and i think it the ones who came out there are stronger now. Have to be. That's crazy because, yeah, I don't um, – I guess it's just a subject that I, I, we haven't really talked about on this show, but it's it's something crazy to think about. Like the world changed overnight. And what kind of other challenges would you go through during that period? Like was it – did you have to completely rethink of the way that you do business or that you – get projects done during that time? Luckily, not completely rethink, but uh, continue what we already started. So the big topic here is smart working, mm -hmm. as we call it at Bosch. So it's uh, coming from the uh, everyday being in the office and being present for meetings uh, kind of attitude to working from home, mm. having more video conference calls and so on. So this was already done before 2020. That's clear because we are a very uh, employee-friendly employee mm. and, uh, and modern uh, technology company, but still it was not that far spread as it is today. So this was something that was then rolled out very quickly because everybody said, okay, we are in lockdown. You stay at home. You all work from home. Mm. And uh, then it became acceptable to do work from home for five days a week, which was normally not that acceptable. You could in circumstantial situations, but it was not that uh, far spread. Mm. And right now we have the opportunity to go back to the office, but we don't have to be there for three days a week, as in other companies, maybe, uh, we have the choice. And uh, with that, with that working from home and accepting that not everybody is present, the way of working in the team changed a little bit. Uh, some some older employees or some older managers would uh, most probably say, oh, I lost control and the team is not performing as they used to be. But mm -hmm. I think they're wrong because uh, young people or younger people and uh, employees in general have shown the spirit uh, and that they want to contribute no matter where they are. And maybe it's even better if they're at home and can balance their work and life at home. Uh, they can contribute even better to the, to the success of the company. And that's what most of us learned there and mm -hmm. now. As I said, uh, the ones that came out of this crisis are now stronger with new experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it must be difficult to manage teams throughout that you know, transition, you know, because I'd imagine you were seeing people every day, you know, that were working on these things. And 
you're trying to manage a project and then in the middle of it, <laughs> like completely different. Well, that also depends uh, because my project teams have always been quite diverse and quite spread over the world. So I have a part that is related more to production mm -hmm. that is uh, in Europe, but it, that is not in Germany. And part of the development is also uh, spread in Europe. So we have uh, the the thought or we have the uh, how can I say, uh, the prerequisites established already for mm. uh, for international teams that are not sitting in one office. But what is a big part of my job as a project manager is talking to people, mm. traveling somewhere and getting a feel for how that other person is doing at the moment and uh, maybe sometimes getting some, some implicit information Nothing that is uh, put in writing normally, but just uh, if you go to somebody uh, with a cup of coffee now, let, let's have a chat one-on-one uh, mm -hmm. -on -one, and now you tell me what's really going on. These kind of talks uh, have decreased in person, of course. You have the possibility to invite somebody for a call, for a video chat. This is always possible, but it's still something different. Uh, than it used to be when you meet somebody just by accident in the lounge for a cup of coffee. So this is what really is missing now mm -hmm. or was missing for a long time. Now we can go back to the office and we can have that again. But still, I I found out the hard way that this is missing. And of course, traveling. When we were on lockdown, we didn't do any business trips mm -hmm. for uh, unless we had a very, very good reason. And mostly just being the project manager isn't a very good reason <laughs> to go on travels uh, here and there. So something that was a big part of my life and was a fun part of my life mm. just stopped for two years. And well, now it's back on and I'm happy about it. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, but coming back to that question regarding managing teams, I yes. think they... Uh, the hardest uh, part is when you get new team members, mm -hmm. uh, both for you as a team manager and for the new team member, because uh, uh, in the worst case, you hardly see anybody of your team for the first year, for example. And mm -hmm. then how is it that you connect to these people? And in past times, you... Uh, you came to the office and your manager said, listen up team here, that's, that's a new girl, that's a new guy, uh, say hello and get acquainted and that's it, you're part of the team and uh, maybe you have some team building events and this is now only slowly coming back up but with many, many people still working from home or from somewhere else, I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, this is still a bigger challenge than it used to be. Yeah, I think whenever... I got more business done. It was always, you know, I'm not going to send an email. I'm going to walk to that person's desk <laughs> and I'm just going to talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. Exactly. Yeah, there's something that kind of is missing about that. But there is something to be said about the productivity that people seem to have while they are at home. And it sounds like what you're doing, you were already ready for this, you know, because of the structure of the team and the company and everything. So worked out okay. 
Yes, maybe some of the developers are now happy that the project managers work from home because the project managers were the ones normally on the phone while the developers were trying to get focused and to get something done in the ah. code. And uh, every time when a project manager had an idea, he would walk up to the developer and say, hey, listen, I have an idea. Can, mm -hmm. you, can you give me an answer to this question? And uh, we, we, the project managers, then destroyed all of their focus and what they have just built up within the last one and a half hours. So some of them are happy now. Oh, bad. <laughs> How do you balance the need for high-tech features with the ease of use for drivers? Did we already ask that? We kind of talked about this already, but... Yeah, we have hit it yeah. a little bit. Uh, I think it's... Uh, it's kind of tricky to balance this, uh, actually, because um, coming from my my very first project, where it was uh, just an instrument cluster, just the gauges that are directly in front of you that you use while you're driving, it's uh, there's not so much high tech that is uh, really well to implement because you need to have a good legibility you need you are not to be distracted from your driving that's mm -hmm. uh, the the key thing here uh, and uh, this is where these displays uh, are good because you can reduce the content that you're looking at you can uh, just give one big number one one big speed uh, for example that is spread over the whole screen if you're uh, just into that but if you're choosing to use more information, then you can still beam it up. So it's um, you always have high priority requirements like legibility, safety, uh, that you need to focus on, and uh, the finesse, let's say, comes later. That's a good word, <laughs> the finesse. How do you think the um, an infotainment system? How does that contribute to the? overall driving experience of something like a sports car, for example? Well, you can imagine the in the past when you had the mechanical gauges, it was pretty much preset what you can see there. Uh, like you could see your refs, your speed, and mm. maybe if your gas was gone, that's uh, when you had some blinking light, and that was it. And right now you have much more information you can use. You can, uh, for example, see what is playing on your uh, on your radio at the moment, or um, as with sports and luxury cars, you can have some sort of racetrack assistant. You can beam up a G-meter where you see when you go around corners uh, how much uh, side forces uh, you do have. And uh, that's kind of interesting for the ambition driver. And uh, I like it when we when we are allowed to implement these functions uh, because it, they're really cool. And it's, it's a nice thing and it's really... Uh, more individual what you can do you can you can choose a new skin so for example you don't like the color blue then you switch it to green and you still have the same information and you feel much more at ease because your color is uh, flexible and can be adapted to your needs that's that's a really cool thing that is cool so it's a, you can personalize the driving experience yes yeah so what is what is some technology that you know bosch has in cars that people might not know about 
So. But it's hard to answer uh, yeah. how much tech it is because it really varies from car to car. There are cars that are entirely Bosch free, uh, mm. which are of course not my favorite cars because I come from Bosch, but <laughs> there are also cars uh, that have a maximum Bosch footprint where they have uh, all of the systems. And uh, I understand the question, what kind of systems do we from Bosch uh, deliver in the car that are maybe less less known? The ABS is known, the airbags are known, uh, I guess. Then now we have talked about the infotainment system mm -hmm. and we have uh, also other domains. One big domain is driver assistance domain all the radar systems, camera systems, parking systems are also made by Bosch. And of course, not in every car, but uh, they are in some cars. Uh, <clears throat> what else can we offer? Uh, we are big in the autonomous driving business uh, already. So this is an emerging uh, technology, of course, but uh, we have some pilot projects. Uh, which are which should be in current series already and maybe what is really new i think in the city of stuttgart there's one uh, one parking house uh, which uh, uses sensors of the car and sensors uh, in the uh, in the building itself that uh, that allow autonomous parking it's called automatic valid parking hmm That's really cool. So yeah, well, have you worked on any technologies that are pretty common in cars now? Well, indeed I have. If you drive a modern car from a specific German brand. Uh, <laughs> Can't tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't really know if I'm allowed to do so. But, gotcha. Uh, I don't want it to be cut out, so just... Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't mention the name, but in these um, modern modern cars, we have mm -hmm. this full display infotainment solutions or uh, virtual cockpits, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been part of uh, that, developing this or uh, leading the development uh, in these cars. Uh, and I think right now, if you drive such a car of that brand, uh, you can hardly go without buying this system, which is kind of interesting. And uh, as you said before, I'm not only a project manager for infotainment systems, but also for camera systems. Mm -hmm. What is meant by this is uh, these uh, parking camera systems. So uh, you may own a car that has a rear view camera that is also a possible product from us, but also the surround view systems when you, um, when you Uh, switch to reverse gear and then many cameras uh, come into light or into life and uh, you you have a surround view you can see what's left and right and where's the curb and uh, do I hit anything mm -hmm. where are the trees uh, this is also uh, part of uh, one of my projects uh, that I recently concluded um, not with a German car brand but still it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's something uh, that we have done and uh, Truth be told, we you said before, I'm working for Bosch Engineering and the concept of Bosch Engineering is we are part of Bosch and we take the existing portfolio that is there with Bosch for the big customers, big in the sense of high volume customers and we adapt this existing off-the-shelf technology as good as we can and give it to the low volume 
manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they are part of a big group or sometimes they are individual companies, um, but we're mostly doing off-the-shelf products and we adapt this. So almost anything that we then sell to the smaller customers is already there with the bigger customers. You know, what I see as a trend now, especially coming from the infotainment side mm -hmm. or from the uh, ECU side, the um, electronic control unit side. Uh, what you've, what we have experienced in the past was we had an ECU for each small system. Mm -hmm. A car, a modern car, had uh, up to fifty or more individual ECUs. And what we now see is that this is dramatically reduced to mm -hmm. so-called domain controllers. So you open up a domain, which is like drive assistance or infotainment or motion for the vehicle, and you yeah. just take more powerful ECUs and you condense it and you put more features on these uh, powerful ECUs. And uh, this is where I see uh, the trend at the moment. There are already examples where this has been successfully done uh, in the industry and Bosch are now uh, also jumping on that chip. And uh, I think it's uh, really interesting what we're going to do here in the next couple of years because it's uh, it's a big change in the uh, in the mindset of uh, car manufacturers as well because mm. they in the past they focused very much on the individual systems and now uh, that we have all fewer systems that we need to fit somewhere the focus is more on the on the software mm. and uh, you may have heard the term about a uh, software defined vehicle this is not just words it's a thing that is mm. coming up and uh, software gets more and more powerful gets uh, more and more dominant and uh, it's it's something that i really uh, I'm interested to see where this is going. I have some ideas being involved in this, mm -hmm. uh, of course. Uh, and as Bosch Engineering, um, we we are working in uh, more than only one domain, more than only infotainment. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's cool to be a part here for Bosch and uh, see where where we can go with this. Yeah. Did you ever think when you were four years old looking out the windows that these cars that this is what you'd be doing? No, I, uh, I would have never dreamt of this. Uh, of course, the imagination of a four-year-old is on the one side is uh, endless, but this specific detail I didn't imagine. So, no. No, But it's, it's still really cool. Yeah, especially since what vehicles have become. I mean, I mean I'm not going to presume how old you are. <laughs> I'm de I've definitely been around for a while. And cars from when I was four were so different than what they are now. And I feel like cars 10 years ago, just everything is just so rapidly developing. And what you're doing is kind of being at the forefront of that development, working on projects that kind of, you know, are part of the future, which is got to be rewarding. It kind of is, but I have the same moment as you from time to time, you know, when I talk to one colleague and I said, listen, uh, this guy I just met there, um, he he drives this car, and uh, I know that uh, my colleague is involved with that uh, with that car brand uh, because he's a project manager for this car brand for a different product. And he said, "Oh come on, 
That's an old <laughs> hat. That's so old vehicle architecture. We have dropped this already four years ago. And I thought, okay, that's a high-priced car and uh, it's it's cool. If I were to drive that car, I would be really happy. And, uh, but still, we sometimes uh, are, as you say, at the forefront and uh, even we do not realize how fast we are going there with this. How many years in the future do you live with a project? How far ahead are you thinking? I mean, you said the average thing is, what, two to three years, or is it much more or less? No, it's uh, just about that, actually. So when we initially make the plans, it's uh, two to three years that we uh, think ahead, Mm -hmm. or that was the case, actually, just until now. So um, you're right out. I'm a senior project manager now. So as a not senior project manager, you have the let's say, normal projects. And now as a senior project manager, I'm allowed to move on a little bit. And we have now bigger projects coming up where we try to establish a product platform that is also there, not only for the next two years, but maybe where we derive some some more products for the next uh, five or six years, maybe. So this is my, my time horizon now. Mm-hmm. Do you have to? Do you find yourself needing to pivot a lot within those two to three years, based on just how fast technology is moving, or what the current trends are? Like maybe you started working on something and then you realize, no, society's gone a different way. We need to probably work this way. Not so much, actually, because uh, for this we have a very specific product and the uh, customer requirements are not that dramatically changed over time. Uh, Of course, there are always changes, there are always different opinions on what we have done or how we have implemented the the requirements that we were given, but still it's not that, uh, as you just said, uh, society has moved on and this is completely... uh, completely useless or completely uh, obsolete what we have done there that's uh, luckily never happened so far so far (laughs) well never say never never say never (laughs) okay sebastian Krein, senior project manager at bosch engineering thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me it's been a blast